for performance and, and for well-being. Frankly, well, that, that in, in my kind of clinical world, that's a little, I, I focus a little more on the, the well-being side. Well, I, uh, I don't think they're separate. Obviously. I don't think they're separate, in my personal opinion. And maybe, ah, maybe interesting. Get, maybe, tell, tell me more about maybe that. Maybe I get yelled at for this one, but I don't think they're separate. I think, I think well-being and performance go hand in hand. Uh, 322, for throwing fire. People are reporting trash. Imagine if every moment of every day was unscheduled, unknown, and uncertain. Where you had to choose between your life and the life of another. Where you were deployed somewhere in the world to face an unknown threat and an unseen enemy. This is the podcast designed to serve those who serve us. So join me as we unpack and uncover why we do what we do when we do it from life's most extreme moments. I'm your host, Jeff Fanman, and this is Mindset Radio. All right. Welcome to Wednesday. Listen, we're about to pick back up with Nick Wignall, where we left off on Monday. And if you didn't catch Monday's episode, I would recommend you push pause, go back, download that one, listen first, and then come back here. It's going to be a phenomenal episode. We are taking on so much. It's just crazy. Now, listen, before we get started, I want to say, if you haven't picked up a brute force sandbag yet, if you're not training, I mean, listen, we have a responsibility in our roles now that we've chosen to take on to be mentally, physically, and emotionally prepared for whatever might happen. And one of the best ways to do that is with one of the brute force sandbags. I mean, I I personally love it. I love those guys. I love their training. And I love what's going on over there phenomenal company. So do me a favor, hop over to BruteForceTraining.com right now. You can use the discount code OPMINDSET, that's OPMINDSET, and the guys will take a little bit off the top for you. And you know, you can start throwing a sandbag around and well, lifting odd shit. So check them out, BruteForceTraining.com. Now we're on to Wednesday's episode. Let's get rocking and rolling. Nick, thanks for joining me again. And listen, let's just pick up our conversation where we left off. When we were talking on Monday, we kind of went through uh, five key steps on the whole cognitive restructuring and beginning to kind of dissect the stories we tell ourselves, uh, you know, the shit talking that we do uh, within our own heads all the time, how to begin to kind of shift that. And one of the things that left me thinking, it's kind of, you know, we're such a immediate return culture now, right? We want to go to 7-Eleven. We want things right here, right now. And like you said in Monday's episode, this is not, this is not like a rapid change deal. This is kind of like turning a aircraft carrier around versus you know, <laughs> flipping the Zodiac around in the water. Uh, right. You know, this, this is going to take something, but, but as you, as you begin to implement the practice, you begin to see results pretty quickly. Right. But it's the long term change that really, really works. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's it's really it's really all about habits. I think this is something that we because of our maybe the history of psychology and self-help, it tends to be seen as this kind of woo woo sort of (laughs) mysterious, mystical kind of field. But really good psychology isn't any, you know, training your mind um, and your emotions to be more effective and helpful um, and balanced. It's no different than any other sort of 
significant training regimen you've gone through, you know, whether that's, um, you know, the army or learning how to be a cop or playing a musical instrument or like whatever there you can, the key idea with good training is good habits. You can't just read a book and then all of a sudden be a marathon runner, right? Like you got to put in the reps and the reps are designed to teach, to teach your own brain how to, how to do stuff on its own. Right. And so that's why building good habits is such an important way to look at our mental health and our performance and, and to realize that just like we can build habits of, you know, physical habits and technical habits, we can build internal cognitive habits that profoundly affect the way we feel and then the way we make decisions and behave. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, uh, in episode three and four, we had Marty Scoglin Jr., senior editor of Coffee and Die magazine, wrote the book Violence of Action, kind of the untold stories of the mm-hmm. 75th Ranger Regiment during the global war on terrorism. Some really cool stuff there. And Marty served as a uh, first Ranger battalion. Uh, guy. And we were really talking about kind of this whole person look, right? And you know, unknown that, you know, two guys would be, end up talking about spirituality and, and how that unfolds. It was a radically amazing conversation. But, you know, it it is this understanding that it's not just about being physically fit. That's kind of the the foundation of a lot of these worlds can, you know, are you physically fit? And there's a lot of judgment in that in and of itself. Uh, but then are you mentally healthy and mentally prepared for everything? And that includes your job and coming home. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I even this, uh, this concept of fitness, I think is really awesome. I use it a lot in my work as a psychologist, actually, in that we, you know, so we all know if you, if you want to be physically healthy, um, you need good habits of fitness, you need good diet, good exercise. Um, and if you want to, um, be sort of intellectually fit, if you want to make good decisions and, um, you know, be smart in whatever it is, your field of study is like you, you have to study and build good sort of study habits, intellectual habits. But there, there's a concept I really like called emotional fitness, which is if you, if you want your emotions to stop getting in the way and actually to start helping you, you need good fitness, good habits and routines that support a strong, healthy, emotional life. So it's really no different. Um, and, and it's no more mysterious or, or magical than any other field where you're trying to develop yourself. Um, it just takes some, some basic kind of principles, but then really putting in the work to develop the good habits that support a strong, healthy, emotional life. Yeah. I mean, like, what do you, what are your thoughts there? I mean, I, you know, I kind of do my best to have my morning routine. I, hold to it some days and don't others. And when I do, I feel much better. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. But like, like if you, if you go through a life of, of a cop or a fireman, um, police officer, firefighter, excuse me, I'm an old school guy, apologies. Uh, right. You know, but if you, if you look at the lives there, I mean, I, I know in my world, getting up in the morning, getting my cup of coffee, getting to work, you know, going to make sure the family's set out the door in the car on the way to work, get in the firehouse, get my gear set up, get everything. To, like there's always something to do in the way. And there's always something to do other than take care of myself. Sure. So how do I, yeah. you know, how do I use my time effectively? How do I uh, structure myself so that I'm not adding something more to my plate? I'm not having to get up, you know, 
10 hours earlier to feel like I need to now accomplish something. Cause I think for a lot of us, the last thing we want is another freaking thing to do. Yeah, no way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're working, you got a family, you're working yeah. a, a full-time job, a high stakes job. Like you, you don't need an extra 45 minute routine. Start waking up at four fifteen every morning. So you can just pack in another little self-help nugget. Sure. Um, no. So I think, I, I think, the key is actually to find small way, you know, small habits and routines that if performed regularly will compound over time. There's a great um, author and writer online I like, his name's James Clear, and he, he wrote this great book recently called Atomic Habits. But he talks about kind of the 1% principle, which is that if you only get 1% better in a particular thing each day, even each week, yeah. that those results will compound so dramatically over even just six months or a year, that it will be life-changing. So I think thinking about what, how could I do something 1% better today? And if you're confining yourself to 1% better, it doesn't, it's not going to necessarily take you 45 minutes in the beginning of the morning. It could take you five minutes, right? right? Even a, a few minutes. And so that's, you know, one of those habits and skills, I think, that really supports good mental and emotional health is... The technical term for it is called metacognition, which is a, a jargony way of saying thinking about how you think, Yeah, which is something, you know, we can all do. We all do it from time to time. Like I, I can pause right now and realizing I'm, this is what I'm kind of thinking to myself and I'm wondering how Jeff's thinking about what I'm saying. So we, we all, we can do that, but it, it's when it's especially hard to do is we're in, when we're in intense high stakes, stressful, and emotionally evocative situations. We, our default reaction in situations like those is just to act. You know, we sort of fall back to like our, sometimes people say we fall back to our highest level of training, you know? And, and so if, you know, if you're in a dog fight, you're a fighter pilot in a dog fight, like you better hope your, you know, your training in, uh, in, in flying was really good because that's what you're going to fall back to when the shit hits the fan, right? Totally. What people don't re what people don't realize is you emotionally, you're going to fall back to your highest level of emotional training. Now there's kind of a scary thought. What's your highest level of emotional training? Now, if you, <laughs> if you're like me and you grew up in this country, like nobody learns about the kind of emotional no. intelligence or mechanics from a young age, we are never taught or trained how to do that. So it's really important. I think that we start to consider this you know, emotional fitness as every bit as important, both for our well-being, but also for our performance as kind of technical fitness or physical fitness. Um, and so this idea of metacognition is we, we need to get better at observing how our mind's working in the flow of life, right. specifically what psychologists call self-talk, which is how are you, you know, we're all narrating, we're all telling a story to ourselves about what's happening in any given moment. And the ability to tune into that and realize, oh, that's an interesting way of describing what just happened. Like, huh, <laughs> I wonder if that's really like the most accurate or helpful, or helpful way, way right. to talk about what's going on. Yeah. Um, so this habit of and this skill of being able to pay attention and observe your own self-talk is super, super important because, again, in, in really high stakes situations, very tiny changes to how you're talking to yourself can have enormous sort of emotional consequences. And you may not have the headroom in a tough situation for another, you know, 
80% fear on top of what you're already feeling. Yeah. Your bandwidth um, is already so collapsing, that, right? Yeah. You're running out you're of space. Out. Yeah. And I always, you know, in the course I refer to as kind of like the cognitive aperture and that thing is like closing mm. rapidly, you know? And so yep. how yep. do I manage to keep it open? So I'm seeing what I'm seeing, you know, left and right. Yeah. So this idea of what are, what are our default habitual ways of describing things to ourselves? And, and I, I don't know if this falls in with your plan, but there, there are for this episode, but there are these concepts called cognitive distortions, mm -hmm. which again is another kind of jargony psychologist way of looking at things. But the basic idea is we all, if you've ever been to a, uh, like a state fair or something like, an you know, like a carnival, they have these rooms that are like, uh, they have all these funky mirrors right. and you look in the one mirror makes you look super fat and one makes you look super skinny and you know, they, they kind of, or I guess the modern equivalent is, uh, you know, on like Snapchat, totally. you know, there's all these filters that kind totally. of distort how you look. So the idea is the way we talk to ourselves just can distort how we end up feeling and therefore how we end up behaving. So here, here's a really, really specific example that one of the cognitive distortions that we all tend to fall into is catastrophizing, mm. which is thinking about the future and imagining the worst case scenario. And, and this is something that is, we're all kind of primed to do it. it, it it's a habit in there. But the degree to which we can recognize that and then sort of short circuit that habit of kind of prophesying like the worst, absolute worst case scenario, we can really lower our level of unnecessary fear and anxiety and maintain enough of that, that kind of cognitive aperture, that bandwidth for good performance. Yeah. Um, so that's, does that make sense? That's Man. kind of a general kind of overview of the idea, but I think that's important. Yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I'm going to circle back real quick because I really like the, you know, the way you connected, you know, any of these mental models or this practice, you know, back to a level of training, because that's the big thing, right? I will, I will spend more time training physically, whether it's fitness or whether it's on the range or whether it's running lines or, you know, the equipment that I use or whatever it might be. And, you know, if I look at my percentage of training, maybe 5% goes to my mental side, you know, 95% is based yeah. on everything else. And I put a, I do the, on my Instagram page, I do these mindset moments every once in a while. And I thought of this the other day when I was prepping for some things. And I said, when the moment comes, rely on your training. Just make sure your training is what you want to rely on. And, you know, and that's, I think that goes, I, I was like, I yeah. was like, when you said that earlier, I was like, yeah, that's it. Right. And it's both in the practical application and the doing of the job that I have, but it's also then in the, the, who I'm kind of being right. This human being side of me and my mental capability you know, to, to kind of work through things. Yeah. I mean, your, your default way of talking to yourself, especially in stressful situations is going to almost entirely dictate your emotional response. And if you get a crazy big negative emotion, that is going to overwhelm a lot of your good training in other areas, yeah. which is why it's, I think it's so critical that we spend at least a little bit of time really examining what are those default habitual ways that we talk to ourselves and can we if they're not helpful or if they're not accurate can we start to cultivate and train a more accurate way of interpreting and looking at what's going on with us um, because if you can even you can reduce some of that excess negative emotion by even just yeah. 10 or 20 percent that can be the difference 
that can make all the difference in how you behave and how you. Yeah, you've got it. You've got to make. Yeah, you've got to make the space. I mean, you have to because you don't know what you're walking into anymore. I mean, you know, here in San Diego, uh, I just went to the San Diego Police Foundation uh, luncheon. You know, last year, cops go to a basic call. You know, check the welfare or you know somebody scream inside an apartment. They smell smoke. Doors mm-hmm. locked. Firemen come up, pop the door. Guy opens up with a freaking machine gun at everybody. You know, you, you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, wow. and, and it's, and I think we're seeing, we're seeing a kind of a transition in stress and incidents and the way things are unfolding for everyone. And, you know, there's, you've got to be able to put yourself in the conditions, you know, for this moment and the next, because you don't know what's coming. And if you don't have that, like we're talking about here, if you don't have that bandwidth, that space, available if you're if you're stuck in kind of this other this other way right this kind of self-talk or garbage or whatever else you don't have the space for the guy that might fall in front of the floor fall through the floor in front of you or the person pulling a gun out or whatever it might be right i mean it's a there's a lot of information coming at you fast absolutely yep yeah so if you're walking into a room like that and your your default self-talk is even if it there's something as simple and sort of normal sounding as, yeah. oh shit. If that's the first thing that runs through your mind, you are, you know something crazy is happening in front of you. You don't need the second little narrator <laughs> telling you, oh, there's some shit going on in front of you. Like you can see that. All that does is add extra negative emotion, which is just going to get in the way of your performance. So that seems like a really simple thing, but that, that is a trainable muscle. You've, we have trained ourselves to talk like that. Um, in, in part, we, we talked in the last episode about um, we think it's motivating right. to be really negative um, with ourselves or with the situation. And getting over that um, kind of belief structure is, you know, is super, super important, I think. Um, but, but really kind of really trying to tune in and listen like, yeah, what are those default scripts that pop up? When, when I'm in a high stakes situation. And is that really the most helpful? Is that what I want? Um, you know, it's almost like, imagine you had someone like coming over the radio, you, you got an intercom on, right. And you walk into a firefight and the person on the other end is just saying, Oh shit. Oh right. shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Like not helpful, man. You know, like that is, you know, the shit's hitting the fan. Like you don't need that extra self-talk there. So man, you know, do it. Go for let's it. Get, can we get kind 100%, of hundred percent? I think that'd be like, great. Well, how do you actually, yeah, so we've talked up this idea that, you know, identifying those default uh, self-talk patterns and then maybe changing them to be more helpful and realistic is super important. So how do you actually do that, right? And this goes back to the creating habits that really support re- good emotional and mental fitness. Um, so there, there's a habit called, it's, it's called cognitive restructuring, which sounds fancy and complicated, but it's really pretty straightforward. Um, and we alluded to it a little bit in the last one, but, but it involves creating this habit of when something really emotionally intense happens, what's your default? And here's the the process that I really like to work people through is we'll kind of go over it, um, sort of the the steps quickly to give you kind of an overview, but then I really want to talk about how to turn it into a habit and, you know, refer back to the other, the other episode for, for more details on each step, but The basic idea is if you can train yourself to pause and ask, okay, what happened here to identify the the trigger, right? Who, what, when, where notice your own thoughts 
Like what, what was that self-talk in my head? How was I talking to myself? Identify what kind of emotions resulted and how intense they were. Then come back around and look at those initial thoughts and say, are th is there a more realistic way of interpreting what just happened? And if you can do that, then you go back, find the final step is re-rate the intensity of your emotion, right? How, now, how intense? After I've sort of taken a more realistic approach to what happened, how do I, does my, that emotionality come down? And that's important because it, it's like an incentive. Like you get that payoff for doing this, this tricky thing. Now, if, if you're paying attention, your, your first thought should be, <laughs> well, how the hell do I go through this six-step process when I'm busting through a door, you know, and there's a firefight? <laughs> okay, so that, yeah. you should not be going through that process. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you that. The, the idea with this is, this should be done, this is training. This is habit building. Like five minutes before game time, you don't run wind sprints, right? You run, you run wind sprints in the week beforehand to build up your fitness so that you, you have that high level of fitness ready when you really need it. Okay. So that's, that's a really important distinction. What I'm going to read this, this process of cognitive restructuring, it's a habit to do as part of your regular routine. And in relatively at first, relatively mild or moderately stressful situations. So for, for instance, like let's, let's say I, you know, I, I'm thinking about a, um, another client I had who was a firefighter and, um, what, what he found was that he tended to, after a big, a big call or a big job or something really stressful, he, he had all these habits of, um, predicting, like telling himself how awful it was and how those, you know, that memory is going to stay with me forever and I'm never going to be able right. to shake this. And this is really effed up. And so he was really like elaborating on in this kind of exaggerated way. And so that was the kind of crite game time um, situation that we wanted to help him get better at. But, but that's too, it's too intense to build a habit right there. So what we, what we tried to find was other situations in his life that were similar to that, but less intense where he could practice these skills of retraining his mental, um, sort of his mental habits and mental self-talk. So what we would do is after, like after sure. a disagreement with his wife, for instance, was one of them, we would say, okay, you're feeling pretty upset. We would, what he would do is he would say, okay, I'm going to go do my cognitive restructuring exercise. It takes three to five minutes. It's really not a complicated thing. Um, and he, he, and doing cognitive restructuring is best done on paper at first. Like anything, you, you want to start pretty, um, you know, you really want mm -hmm. it to be applied and kind of physical to, to learn how to do it. So he would, he would, he's frustrated, he's upset with his wife about something. He'd go to his room, he'd pull out his piece of paper and he'd run through the steps. He'd say, okay, like what led up to this fight? Well, she made that comment um, and then I snapped back at her, you know. So that was kind of the trigger, this, this kind of snarky interchange between the two of them. And then he, he reflects back again. Okay, what were the thoughts running through my mind after she said that? And he's a, the immediate thought that went through his mind, he was ashamed saying this, but what a bitch. Like that was the thought that went through his mind. Um, that was the first thing that totally. came you know, into his head after she had made the comment because he interpreted it as being, um, being sarcastic. And then what, okay, what emotion did he feel right afterwards? Anger, a lot of anger. In that moment, it was like an eight out of 10, pretty intense, like hot, you know? Um, 
And now here, here's the real work. Step five is what are some different ways of interpreting what yeah, she right. said? And I, I don't remember the specifics of what she actually said, but it, but it, <laughs> but it could be something like something along the lines of, well, I could see how that would be sarcastic, but maybe she, sometimes she tries to be funny and she's not really good at it. So maybe that's what she was doing, right? That's an alternative explanation or interpretation for what's going on, right? Or for instance, like I had a super long day at work, so maybe I was a little oversensitive yeah. and she didn't necessarily mean anything by it. So you, you run through, a, he'd run, run through a couple of those and then he'd come back and say, okay, how, you know, what, what's my anger like? Now, what's the anger like now? And usually it decreases somewhat, which, and the cool thing for him was that would allow him to go back and have a more productive conversation with his wife and kind of work things out as opposed to sitting and kind of stewing in that, those ruminations about how she's always, you know, so blah, 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 or whatever. And why can't she be more like this? And I just wish I, you know, all that garbage. Um, now the, here's the thing practicing doing this in a, you know, difficult, but not life-threatening situation, you're, you're building that muscle. You're not ready to run the marathon yet, right? But you're doing a 5k. You, what you're, you're training your brain to catch itself with those exaggerated ways of explaining things and that, to catch it and then to put something more um, realistic in. And if you can train, if you can run through enough of these trainings it starts to become automatic so that when you're in a game time situation, your default has changed. You very quickly, almost instantaneously, catch those unhelpful thoughts and go in a more constructive line of thinking. Yeah, well, I think, you know, here's the interesting thing, because I always say, you know, an operational mindset or mindset isn't a narrative problem, it's a math problem. So it's kind of you know, breakdown of behaviors and traits and several other mm. things, you know, underpinning aspects that go into this. But part of this conversation is the conversation that we have in our head with it. And, you know, ultimately, from my world, having worked with just amazing top performers kind of across a lot of industries, but uh, people that really, I would say, have their shit together. You know, what I think that one of the common traits that you find is they have this sense of clarity in those moments. And I, you know, where, where they're actually able to use their systems to perform, you know, and that then is dropping into flow. Right. But, and, and these conversations interrupt that state of flow. Yeah. Does that make sense? Am I, that's how I would explain it. Yeah, the self-talk, right? The negative self-talk, kind of the shit talking that goes on, the things we allow to creep yeah. in. I'm now limiting myself in getting my mind, body, soul all connected and in flow so that I can just act, right? From a clean slate, from a, a place of clarity, from a place of seeing what's happening for what's happening and then taking the right action in that moment. You know, that's, yeah, no, that's right on. I, you know, I almost, I like that idea of clarity because what I think by, by, um, learning to tune into and then modifying these unhelpful kind of patterns of negative self-talk, really what we're doing is we're removing this cruft, like this yeah. garbage that we've, these habits that we've had since we were kids or whenever, 
these habits of talking to ourselves. And what that allows us to do, it, and really it's the, the right verb is mm-hmm. it allows us it, so that we don't have to do anything. We fall back right. to our, our values and our training, the things we've practiced and we, and it's amazing how, <laughs> how happy and effective we can be if, if we're allowed to fall back to the things that we really value in our really good training, instead of being derailed by these kind of unhelpful negative um, cognitive habits that lead to all this <laughs> shit in the way. <laughs> no, I would, negative emotion too. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. And it's, <laughs> exactly. and it's not just on the job, right? It's at home and it's, and part of, part of the worlds we operate in, I feel like, you know, other than going to an office every day, you have your own stuff, right? It's all out there. I'm not diminishing any of that, but you know, there's a lot that comes sure. with taking on a role as a fireman or a police officer or serving in the military or operating in these kind of high stakes environments. And really that goes anywhere, stock exchange floor, you know, any being an entrepreneur, any of it, right? There is, there's a lot there. And I think that when you can begin to develop these, this skill set, this new kind of skill set in, you know, body and mind and, and, and actually put the work in like you're talking about. And that's not like, okay, you're going to wake up tomorrow. You're going to do it in the most high stress environment. You're going to do it little by little in each and every moment. Uh, and then that begins to perpetuate on itself. I really, I like that. Yeah. It's, it's really starting small because like, God knows, like, none of us have boatloads of free time to, yeah. you know, to practice these, you know, long, huge, long, you know, experiments at, at five in the morning again, but it, we don't need that. I think that's the really cool thing is that even if you're, as long as you're doing it somewhat consistently, small little moments of, you know, starting to think about your, your mindset and your sort of mental habits, just taking three to five minutes out of your day can make an enormous impact. You can, get that crap out of the way and have it stop sabotaging your, your good training and those things you, you know, you want to work towards. So I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, take the, take the 10 minute ride to work, right. Take the 15 minute ride to work and re reassess yourself. I always, you know, I always try to train guys to say, listen, there's two primary things you've got to live with. You know, being resilient is, is an aspect of being recoverable and being recoverable exists in every moment. And, you know, I always Mm. would have guys plan recovery points and recovery periods. So, you know, a drive to work is a recovery period. Maybe you're transitioning, maybe you had a fight the night before, you know, that's a great time to think about it. And then just sit in the car for five minutes and write the worksheet, fill it out, you know, like do the work before you even walk into the firehouse. That's putting yourself in the conditions because many a day when I was there, I'd walk in at six and 605 bells are ringing out the door we go and and the day's off. So uh, I think there are ways to be able to integrate these things into, into the normal course of life. And it's not an add to, right. It's an effective use of time. Really. Mm -hmm. I like that. I really like that. Finding those opportunities throughout your day when you can insert that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then driving home, right. Maybe crap happened, you know, at, at, during your, during your shift at the firehouse or during your shift on patrol or, you know, bringing the long flight home. I mean, I had a whole kind of quote unquote detox program when I would come back from overseas, uh, you know, because I've got to make a major Mm -hmm. transition from operating out in the world to 
stepping back in to being husband and father and I didn't do it well, you know, a, a lot of times. Mm. Um, I, I had an old supervisor who used to say, um, one of the best things he ever did was he, he never, uh, he always tried to use opening a door. Mm -hmm. So like literally transitioning from one space to another as a, as a yeah. moment to briefly for two seconds, just pause and reflect real quickly. So he left his office door, just a little pause, like got into his car door, little pause to kind of leave work, opened it, you know, opened his garage door, a little pause to recognize, okay, I'm done with my work day. I'm going home. Right. A little pause, even as you're, you know, I, I don't know, sliding down the fire pole, getting ready yeah. to, to hop on the engine. Right. Like a little pause to realize, okay, it's go time. I got to transition. Yeah, it's two, it's two breaths before you key the mic on the radio. You know, one of the, I did a podcast months ago and guy asked me, he said, what's the, what's the one separator? He's like, I'm going to put you on the spot. You can only pick one thing. What's the one thing that separates you know, the top 1% from the top 10%. Like, what is it? And my, and as I thought about it, cause I could only pick one thing it was, and this is why I love this conversation. It was the willingness to pause. You know, we all have this ability to do it, but it's really the willingness to yeah. act. It's that, it's that taking that pause and it's so brief. And I, you know, and I would even, um, please, I don't know that I'm going to, I'm going to, argue with you here, but I would say the thing, the thing that allows you to be willing yes. maybe yeah. is, is the habit of pausing. So in order to recognize and be willing to pause, um, and to take a moment to reflect, I think you have to kind of like, like any skill, right? You gotta, you gotta put the reps in at first, even though it feels kind of mechanical and strange and maybe even feels a little kind of woo woo and out there, like what, I'm just going to pause reflect on, you know, but really it's, it's, it's yeah. habits, you know, performance relies on habits. If you don't have good habits, you're like, you're screwed, you know, like it's, you need those, those habits, I think. And then, yeah. And then that allows you to get to the point where you can be willing to actually do that thing that, that I, I agree. It's, I think so essential for, for performance and, and for well-being. Frankly, like, like in, in my kind of clinical world. Well, I, I don't think they're separate. I don't think they're separate in my personal opinion. And maybe, maybe I get maybe maybe I get yelled at for this one, ah, but I don't think they're separate. I think that. I think well-being and performance go hand in hand. You know, I mean, I've. I there's there's anything I've learned over the years, it's that 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 is so critical. You know, I acted a certain way because I believed that was the way I needed to act for so long. And now knowing what I know, when I look back, I'm like, man, I could have been, it would have been so much easier. <laughs> you know, I would have been so much better off. My performance would have skyrocketed because <laughs> I wouldn't have had these things in the way in that moment. Uh, and so I don't think, I don't think you can yeah. se separate well-being and performance. And I think the, the road we're traveling, right. Get on the train the road we're all traveling is the alignment of those hand in hand, you know, in this kind of new era almost that, that is, is a little disruptive to a lot of communities because it's challenging the old school ideas around stuff. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And it, that's, it's fascinating because I, I haven't exactly thought about it in those terms, but I think you're right that that's sort of a false dichotomy because, you know, I, I think that the struggle is people think, well, like, 
how is focusing on well, you know, wellness going to improve my performance? You know, and I, but I, like you say, I think we're we're slowly coming around to that idea that your, you know, your your level of emotional fitness is going to constrain your ability to perform in the highest stakes, right? So that's just a you know an example right there. But the you know the other thing I, I really like to reinforce to people, and when I see a new client in the into my practice, and I'm kind of talking to them about what's going on. I, I really, I don't like to let them leave my office for the first time without clarifying what, as a psychologist, like what my job is, like, I'm not a priest, like, I, I'm not an astrologist, like, I, I haven't, like, tuned into the mysteries of the universe and energy wavelengths and all that kind of stuff, like, I just, I use tools of performance and technique right. to help people improve their well-being, their psychology, their emotional fitness, their mental habits. And for a lot of people, and I think especially maybe people in this audience um, who, who might, and rightly <laughs> so, would be resistant to going to see some, you know, wackadoodle crystal therapist, you know. <laughs> um, but, but this idea that thinking about something like, like our emotional life from the perspective of performance, like how do I develop a good training plan to, to achieve peak emotional fitness, I think that is a message that a lot of people who traditionally would have been turned off from, from therapy or counseling or coaching can really get behind. That in, in, in my experience, a really great therapist is far closer to like a, a personal trainer than right. they are to a doctor or a guru or a, you know, or, or a minister or something. Um, it's, so, so I think that's really just to your point that well, well-being and performance are not, not separate, just like we're coming around to the idea that wellness really supports performance. I think the other way works too, that I think a lot more people are coming ar around to thinking seriously about their well-being because we're learning to approach it more from the perspective of performance training, which I think is just kind of a fascinating parallel there. Yeah. I mean, I've watched, you know, I've watched two of my good friends who were psychologists over at Naval Special Warfare uh, they're both, you know, one's a head of human performance for the Pirates and the other's head of performance for the Kansas City Royals, you know, and then the third one's up at the Dodgers. Like, uh, you know, this is this is the new game, if you will, almost right? is is how do I how do I operate at a whole different level? Yeah. Then, you know, my predecessors did. And we're not we're not giving we're not there's no make wrong for that, right? There's no, I value so much what the men and women that taught me that, that mentored me through my whole life, what they gave me. Right. I mean, it really got me where I needed to be and you know, they are doing the best sure. with the knowledge they had. I mean, they're, you know, when I look back, it's a lot of slang terminology. It's a lot of jargon. It's a lot of kind of ad hoc ideas around some of the core concepts now that have been scientifically proven. That's what I love, right? Because I go back and I'm like, no, nope, this old DC fireman said this, and then here's the scientific yeah. evidence, you know, he said this 30 years ago, and then here's the scientific evidence that proves that statement today. <laughs> and so I think they got a lot of things right. And you know, just the culture at the time, I think this, yeah. you know, there was just the absence of awareness to this. And, you know, it was frou-frou. It was go do yoga or, go, you know, it was all, it was very mystifying in a lot of ways uh, for a long time. 
but I think that we're seeing this, this move in a lot of environments, especially with this audience. You know, if, if I know that if someone's listening to this podcast right now, they're in the group that understands this, right? That gets it. You're not going to get the closed minded old school fire guy who's, who's sitting around like, ah, fuck that shit. I'm not listening to that I garbage, you know? And that's, and, and unfortunately, I think they're going to be on their way, you know, maybe on the way out at some point, or they're going to begin to like resist it, resist it, resist it. And they'll, they'll sit outside and ask one of the guys, it's like, okay, what is this stuff? You know, and that, that's the cool thing that I think will actually start happening. People, you know, some of the old school guys will be like, all right, what is this? Tell, right. me, tell me what's going on. <laughs> yeah. As soon as they start connecting it to like how much better their life will be at home, <laughs> right? Yeah, how much absolutely. more absolutely. effective their marriage yeah. will be or their partnership will be or whatever. Right. Whatever your key thing is, they'll be like, all right, tell me about this. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that's my old school guy voice. Right. All right. I mean, you know, let's do that. Yeah. No, I, mean, I love that. Yeah. Listen, I want to, you know, <laughs> got a little bit longer here and I kind of want to circle back up uh, and kind of hit a few things. We hit the kind of hit the five steps. Right. And in the show notes, it'll be up on opmindset.com. Uh, for this episode and Monday's episode, I'm going to put your worksheets in there and then how you like you've created it in the notes and a couple examples so they can go in and just download that and grab that uh, and get cool. to work on it. Uh, and then they can go through the articles here in more depth. But what I want to do is also look at some of these obstacles. I kind of want to tie back to some of the obstacles because in in this world, if I know myself from this world, a lot of people, you know, if we can put something in our way, we will. So, so, so really the question is like, what are, what are going to be the excuses? What are we going to be the things that we're going to do that's going to keep us from, from actually taking this into practice and developing this habit? Yeah. So that's, you know, if nothing else, I hope this conversation has, has hit home for people that if, if they do want to improve their emotional fitness and change their kind of self-talk to be more helpful and productive to them, this is like insight is not enough. Like just understanding something is not enough. Yeah, all right. <laughs> like it, we can be, we can be friends then we can be. Friends. No, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm going on record here. I, I push comes to shove. I, I think I basically agree with you. Um, as any good cognitive, uh, you know, scientist or psychologist will tell you, like it takes change. Like something has to change for learning and therefore new behavior to happen. Right. So just understanding something is enough. So I think that's really important, whether you're talking about cognitive restructuring and kind of changing your negative self-talk, but really any big kind of personal change or something you want to work on, any kind of self-improvement or whatever, you really have to go into the, with this mindset of understanding is great. And the ideas are sexy. When you read a self-help book, it's all, you know, it's all rainbows and butterflies because the idea is really interesting. But like, what, what do you do after you finish the last page? You just throw the book on the shelf and say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do one of those worksheets in the back. But really, you got to go into these things just like you would going into training for a marathon. You can't just read the book. Like, <laughs> you really got to, like, put your miles in. So I think that that's really important. Now, the second piece to that, which is really underappreciated, I think, is even if you know the importance of practice, and making things a habit and routines, like we've all got a million things going on um, between work and home and everything else. It's hard. Sometimes it's surprisingly hard just to remember that we need to practice. Right. Yeah. So I'm saying like, just do this little thought record to practice your cognitive restructuring for three minutes a day. 
well, okay, fine. That sounds pretty simple. But you know what? Like the alarm goes off, you, you race into work, you get to work, the bell, you know, like it, if you don't set a reminder, if you don't have some sort of practical way of holding yourself accountable, it more, more likely than not, it's just not going to happen. And then you're, you're going to realize two weeks later, oh yeah, I was supposed to work on that stuff. Shit, I forgot. Oh, well, screw it. And that, there, there's where you really fall off the wagon. Yeah. So never go into any sort of project like this, and you know, without having a real plan for how you're going to remember to practice. And it could be simple. It could just be you set a re- you set a recurring reminder on your phone that you know you know you're usually free after you put the kids down at eight o'clock between bedtime. You know, like so you set an alarm for eight thirty to go off every day, and that's your time to spend five minutes, and you run through your thought record and you practice cognitive restructuring. Um, so you got to have a memory aid. I think that's key. Do not rely on your own memory. <laughs> no offense, but yeah. it's just not that good uh, because you're so busy. you got so much going on. If, if, at least if anyone's like me, I, I know that's, that's definitely the case. Um, the other thing, another thing is at, especially at first you want to avoid practicing in your head. Now we're talking about thoughts, right? And, and modifying and being aware of thoughts. So it's very tempting to think, well, like, you know, I could just do kind of do it all in my head. I can notice what's happening and I can think a different thought. And I, no, you got to do it. You got to do it on paper. You got to write it out. There's boatloads of research showing that in, in the kind of education world, showing that handwritten notes are far more effective than either just watching and, and listening or doing t- taking notes on the computer. There's something really important about early on doing this stuff by hand. So you really see it and you, you literally kind of feel yourself going through the motions. We're, wow. we're creating like mental muscle memory here, but I think that starts almost with physical muscle memory. Yeah. So really hold yourself accountable to at least in the beginning, doing this on paper, you print out some of these worksheets or you, you create a little um, outline for it in your notes app on your phone. And you just, paper's best, but if you, if you have to, you can do it on your phone. But really, get it get out of your head. Ironically, you'll be better able to do it in your head if you start by practicing outside of your head. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but... No, um, I, no I'm with you. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I've got a few more. You want me to keep rolling? Yeah, keep going. Okay, a couple more quick ones. Um, this one's also counterintuitive. Don't spend too much time doing this. You don't want this to feel like a chore. <laughs> this should be something you, you can do. It. I mean, the first, the first couple times you do it, maybe it takes you 10 minutes. Maybe. Um, after that, it should take you a few minutes, really. You, you just, you're not writing a novel here. You're just, it's just training. You're just getting it down. You're just getting it out. Um, don't worry about spelling and being correct and all that stuff. You just, so spend a few minutes on it. Don't make it something you can rationalize avoiding. It should be so easy you can't help but do it. That's really important, I think. Um, the, the other two, two things that kind of relate to this idea of, um, you know, making, thinking of it as a practice, as, as a habit you got to get into is a, a lot of the complaints I get or obstacles are people thinking it's just positive thinking or that it seems too simple. Okay. And, and, and both of these are, are incorrect because like I said in the, in the previous episode, this is about realistic thinking. This is about helpful thinking. It's not about positive thinking. Uh, it's about being more accurate in the way you think about things. Um, and then the, the idea that it seems too simplistic, well, yeah. I mean, if you ask someone to tell you like how to train for a marathon, 
it's not actually that complex. I mean, there's sure there's all sorts of details about the right kind of shoe and like, you know, minor quibbles about training regimen and stuff. But the gist of it is like, you just got to start running more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's not the actual going for a run is not that conceptually complicated. So I think a lot of the best things in aggregate, they're complicated, but the specific practices you do should be simple. So the fact that it feels, some people find it feels too simplistic. That's a good thing. That's the right level on which you want to do this. So there, I've, again, I've kind of ranted, but I, I'm glad you, you brought this, this idea up of, of obstacles um, to doing this. Cause I think this is just such a, an important. Um, yeah. Topic. I mean, that's cause you know, if you got to private proof everything, I mean, cause if I could put something in my way, I will. Right. I mean, I, if I, <laughs> If you give right. it to me, I'm yep. probably going to break it is basically kind of the rule of thumb here. You know, and I mean, <laughs> right. it is, there's there's this idea that even kind of comes up that it's like, so am I am I fighting myself with this process? Like, am I making myself wrong for what I'm thinking? You know, I mean, I can see that where it's like, like I'm almost, you know, against myself in a way. So how do I, how would I deal with that? Yeah, that's a great thought. So you know, what you don't want to fall into is this idea that like my thoughts are bad and therefore I need to kind of like eliminate them so that I can perform better. Just the thing is thoughts are just thoughts. Like the, the best metaphor for thoughts is it's like you're driving down the interstate and there's billboards that like come into your point of view. And some of them are like really colorful and bright and evocative. And you're like, wow. And you feel that kind of urge to like pull over and yeah, I, I, I need a, a double whopper. I didn't realize it, but I definitely right. need one. <laughs> but, but no, you, d you don't have to. And it's probably not either safe or healthy to just like steer the car over and hop off the freeway. Um, so thoughts are like that. They're just, they, they can be very evocative and powerful looking, but you want to think of them as just, they're just stuff in your mind, which means we don't want to fight with them necessarily, but when a certain unhelpful thought comes into mind, you, you want to kind of let it go and refocus your attention on generating alternative, more flexible and realistic thoughts. So I think I, I'm glad you brought that up too. This, this is not about necessarily arguing mm. with your thoughts. It's about being more flexible with the way you think. And that's why the, 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 the essence of it is generating alternative thoughts. Um, it's just about being more flexible to break yourself out of that initial mental habit. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Well, I, I mean, this was, this was a, a, uh, a better conversation than I expected. This was awesome. I mean, real high, oh, man, yeah, I, high I actionable fun. tools. Listen, I want to, I want to pull a couple points up that I took in notes here, uh, just cause I know we've gone on for a little bit and I don't want anybody to miss it. Uh, keep in mind, all the show notes and kind of the recap of everything we talked about will be on opmindset.com backslash mindset radio. They'll be up there for you to take a look at in the downloads and everything. But, you know, kind of going back to the core basic steps and cognitive restructuring that we've talked about really over the last two episodes. One, hit the pause button. Two, identify that trigger. Identify what's what's kind of happening right this minute. Notice those automatic thoughts that are starting to generate. And then identify what that emotional reaction is that you're having. And then how intense is it on a scale of one to 10? How intense is it? And then as you're looking at it, can you gener generate some alternative, alternative thoughts to that idea rather than, you know, like we talked about earlier, uh, kicking the shit out of ourselves? Can I actually 
be a little bit more kind and gentle to myself and taking a look at what was going on. And then after that, being able to kind of re-rate my emotions to see if I've got any alleviation from that moment. Did I get those right, uh, Nick? Yeah, nailed them. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much for being on today. This was, I think, a, a, a real high value episode for our listeners. I'm, I got a lot from it. I'm, I'm sitting here quiet. If you go back and listen, I'm actually more quiet than I normally am. So that must be a good thing. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you being on. I appreciate uh, you letting me share some of your work out on the platform as well. I think it will uh, really serve our audience well. I think there's a, a definite piece to it. And then just so you know, all Nick's information is up uh, on the blog and in the show notes. So do me a favor, go show them some love, uh, check them out. And if you need anything from Nick, please feel free to reach directly out to him. So Nick, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. That's your Wednesday episode and we will see you Monday. All right. That's a wrap for this Wednesday. Thank you for joining us. I hope you got something out of today's episode. I kind of feel like it's this week's, both Mondays and Wednesdays episodes are one that you're probably going to want to re-listen to. And you can always hop over to opmindset.com backslash mindset radio. The episodes are up there and available with the show notes and the downloadable forms that Nick and I talked about and uh, really some tools there to help you on your way in, well, getting shit out of your way so you can perform at the level that you really want to perform at. So before we close out today, just a quick reminder, do me a favor, head over, check the guys out at BruteForceTraining.com. Amazing company, amazing equipment. Get their app. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, I would challenge you try it. It will kick the shit out of you. It's a phenomenal workout that not only touches the physicality you're looking for, but also will kind of push you mentally and emotionally in an entire new direction. So that's our Wednesday episode. Check out our sponsors. Stop by the page. Shoot me a note. Let me know how we're doing. Thanks again for listening. And we'll talk to you next week.